Welcome to With One Accord, the Houston Chamber Choir podcast. I'm Sinjin Flynn, host of Behind the Music. Today's episode is made possible in part by the generous support of Silvercrest Asset Management Group, providing an unparalleled level of quality investment advice. Welcome to Behind the Music. This time, I'm joined by Sarah Kirkland Snyder, the composer of Mass for the Endangered, which the Houston Chamber Choir presents on February 4th at the St. John the Divine Episcopal Church in River Oaks. Sarah, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I love the title, Mass for the Endangered. What do you mean by that? So uh, I actually can't take credit for the title. It came from the librettist, um, but he was, he, you know, when we first talked about what this, project would be, his first, the words out of his mouth were, I want to write about endangered animals. And so it wasn't even particularly about climate change or human suffering. It was endangered animals. That was the starting point. And um, he said, you know, I want to call it Mass for the Endangered. I want to make it a requiem for the not yet gone. So like a, a piece that sort of deals in advance um, with the death of a species. And um, that is to say the species that are currently endangered, um, which hopefully will be rescued. But, um, but at this point, you know, the, the species for, for which we are the most concerned on this planet um, in gravest danger of losing. And so that was really the idea behind it was to reflect on what a tremendous loss it is to lose a species. Um, but then, of course, as the music, as we began writing it, the concept expanded, you know, to get more into climate change and human suffering and suffering of plants and, you know, flora and fauna, not just well, flora, not just fauna. And um, so we started thinking of it as, well, it's not just about endangered animals, it's about endangered humans, and it's really all of us who's the only way of life we know is is currently endangered by the, the situation we face. Um, so at what point did the idea of framing this as a, a mass come into play? And did that come from you or did that come from Nathaniel, Nathaniel Bellows, the, uh, the provided the libretto? Yeah, so um, we were commissioned by um, Trinity Wall Street, which is a, a wonderful church uh, in New York City which is also a, a veteran classical mu music institution. They commission a lot of new music and they had an idea to commission five new masses and they could be on anything that the composers wanted, any subject, um, as long as two of the movements were still in Latin. Um, that was the Gloria and the Sanctus Benedictus. But other than that, we said we could write on any subject we wanted, any topic, um, any language, and so, I immediately conferred with my favorite librettist, Nathaniel Bellows, and as I mentioned, he was very interested in writing something on endangered animals. And um, yeah, so so that's really where the concept of the mass came from. I, I, it was a commission idea. Which came first, the libretto or the music? Yeah, that's a great question. So the libretto came first. Um, but then this is typical of my process with Nathaniel. I start writing the music and I have a lot of ideas for 
different things I want to do with the text. And what I love about working with him, in addition to his tremendous talent, is he's very flexible and very easy to work with. And he loves accommodating my own musical ideas. And so, you know, I would start setting a stanza and then something, one of the lines would make me think, oh, let's take this in a different direction here formally. Could you write a few more lines here that sort of go off on this tangent? And then we'll come back to this idea. And so he was very, very willing to do that. So that we started with the text, but then I began writing the music and the text changed and they sort of evolved in tandem. So really Nathaniel's texts weren't sort of finished poems to begin with. They were they were in process as, as you two were working together. So they started as finished poems, but right, then we <laughs> opened them up and, <laughs> and- We destroyed it all. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And he was he was really wonderfully accommodating and not precious about it. And he would get excited by the challenge of, you know, adapting and opening something up and changing it. So by the end, they were new, new poems. Yeah. Now you've taken you've got the six sort of traditional movements of the uh, of the the Latin mass. And, and as you said, I think four of them uh, are set to Nathaniel's texts. What was it like for you, though, writing music for these um, these traditional forms, if you like? Have you done that before? Um, yes and no. Um, I had certainly not written a mass before, and um, you know, it's it's very intimidating. When I first got the commission, I thought, oh, that's that's a heavy, heavy form to tackle. You know, it's, there's such a weighty history behind it. And there's so many incredible masses out there. And where do you start to say something fresh or new or so I had to put all of that anxiety aside. And what I did was I immersed myself in my memories of singing choral music as a as a kid. I grew up singing in some wonderful choirs. Um, the American Boy Choir School had a co-ed summer program, which I sang at for six years. And I, my high school had a nationally recognized choir. And so I had a lot of wonderful experiences singing masses and, and requiems. And, um, and I just tried to immerse myself in the joy of singing. And I decided not to pay too much attention to what, I mean, I of course have memories of how lots of different masses go, but I tried not to adhere to the formula of the um, of you know the traditional mass in the sense that usually the Gloria is a big bombastic movement in my Gloria I decided to go small and intimate um, so you know things like that I, I tried to just follow my own instincts and um, let myself be guided by Nathaniel's text and not worry too much about the the weight of tradition looming over my shoulder um. <laughs> you scored the mass for um, SATB and an ensemble of, of 12 instruments. Mm -hmm. Talk about the instrumentation. So that was given to me as well by Trinity Wall Street. Um, but what I loved about the instrumentation, and, and I really, really fell in love with it, is that it, it gives you both the um, the intimacy of a chamber music ensemble, but it also allows for the, at times, the grandeur of an orchestra or a, um, a chamber orchestra anyway. There, especially when in combination with a, a choir, um, 
it can really offer a largeness to the sound. And um, so whoever came up with the instrumentation did a wonderful idea and I, and I really enjoyed working with it. So we've got the we've got violins, we've got violas, we've got cellos, we've got a bass, um, and one of, some wood, some woodwinds. But there's also piano and harp, isn't there as well? Yes, and percussion. And percussion. Mostly pitched percussion, marimba and vibraphone. Um, a little bit of unpitched, but yeah, and then solo strings. Um, yeah, so it, you know, it was really up to me with thinking about it. I really most of my music tends to be very harmonically oriented and that's how my orchestration tends to work too. I think a lot about creating a large canvas or trying to create a large harmonic canvas with my, with the instruments um, over which the voices can be draped and, and um, you know, have a, have a world to live within. I've seen it said of the mass that unlike the, uh, let's say, you know, the Mozart Requiem, for example, where you have these, um, the mass is traditionally uh, on the, based around the relationship between between humankind and the divine, and here it's humankind and and the natural world, the natural environment. Yes. But in many ways, we're talking about the relationship between humankind and the rest of creation. So there is a sort of theological element here isn't there yeah absolutely I, I mean oh, you make a really good point because i i often say that we're using the the you know the scaffolding of the mass but um but instead of praying to god or jesus we're praying to mother nature but you make a good point that it's also that we're, we're praying to mankind for intervention um and mother nature can only do so much you know to to intervene we're so to Mother Nature, we're basically issuing a plea for, for forgiveness and um, saying we're sorry for all that we've done. But to mankind, we're saying, please, please do something. Please intervene and, and make a difference. Um, so you're right, but there is this theological sense of having a dialogue with somebody or something larger than yourself. And that's where I think that the spiritual, that was the spiritual quality that I tapped into because I didn't, I'm not a religious person myself. I, I think of myself as a very spiritual person, but I did not grow up celebrating any particular religion. And um, for me, if any sense of God really is in nature. So this felt like a very comfortable spot for me to, to, to live in and ruminate um, philosophically. But um, it, is, it is for certain a plea, yeah. I realized that I, I just referenced Mozart's Requiem and, did you ever think, or do you think, that there is the element of the requiem in this mass, or do you not see it in those terms? Um, yes, I definitely do see it in those terms. I do think there is an element, I mean, both literally and figuratively, literally in the sense that I sang the Mozart requiem many times growing up, and that played an enormous, I think, it, you know, uh, influence on this piece. It had an, exerted an enormous influence. Um, but, but also, again, as I mentioned, Nathaniel said he wanted this piece to be a sort of requiem for the not yet gone. So sort of honoring and celebrating and eulogizing these species that are, that we're losing, that are dying, um, eulogizing them before they're gone, just before they're gone. So 
in that sense, I did want it to have elements of the requiem, the sense of mourning. Um, but at the same time, I wanted the piece to have a sense of celebration and jubilation. I mean, there are, you know, the Sanctus Benedictus, instead of celebrating God and Jesus, we're celebrating the biodiversity, at, you know, of, of the earth and how wonderful and extraordinary it is. And there was so much deep feeling I had about that, that I wanted to communicate. So it was very easy for me to tap into a, a tremendous amount of joy. Um, and other parts of the, of the mass have a lot of joy as well. And, and I, I wanted there to be that balance between acknowledgement, lamentation, but also celebration and acknowledgement of the extraordinary beauty that we're surrounded by. Imagine that you are sitting on a plane you're flying somewhere across the country and the person sitting in the seat next to you strikes up conversation and asks you what you do and you say i'm a composer and they say what sort of music do you write how would you define to them how would you define your music how would you describe it oh that's a good question i get asked this all the time as you can imagine and that airplane scenario has happened many times because I always compose <laughs> on the plane. <laughs> so I have my scores on the laptop and everything. And yeah, but um, yeah, I always say that I write um, contemporary, you know, classical music. And often I have to explain that that is a very broad concept these days and that it, mostly it just means notated music that could encompass lots of different styles. And uh, my music encompasses many different styles. Um, so, you know, I mentioned that a little bit. I find what's easiest to explain to people is the types of ensembles I write for, string quartet, choir, orchestra. That immediately puts people in the mind of classical, but I'm always, I always want to point out that, um, you know, my music has a lot of pop and vernacular music influence because that's the truth. And I think it's also important for the average person to understand that composers are not walled off from the rest of the world you know, that they vary, most of them that I know are very much in a dialogue with contemporary living culture and musically and otherwise. And um, so that's always an important point that I feel I need to make. But. And you've worked with Nathaniel on other projects. Yes, yes. We have um, a, a full length album called Unremembered, which is an hour long song cycle that he wrote the poems for. We've also written a handful of other choral pieces. Um, and I, at some point we'll be writing an opera together. Yeah, he's an old dear friend from college. So um, it's very easy to work with him. I was gonna say, is there a comfort in working on, working with somebody whose um, work you're very familiar with? Yes, absolutely. And somebody I think that you've known a long time, you know, where you sort of feel like, I mean, going to college with someone, you almost feel like you grew up together and there's that history that you can count on. But also, absolutely, Nathaniel and I share a lot of values in terms of our art making. Um, we're both interested in lyricism and um, our work is often referred to as wistful and elegiac, both of both of our, our, our work. And um, so I think we we have a common shared sensibility and it's easy to, you know, in, in times of where you're sort of having inevitable like 
disagreement about how to do something, you need to have that base of shared values. And we always have that. So it definitely makes working together easy. You've mentioned as you were working together, asking him to, uh, to add or subtract from the text. Did he ask the same thing of you musically? <laughs> no, it's, you know, he's, a gentleman and a scholar. No, I, I, you know, I think, I think it's really, you know, I think most librettists tend to defer to composers and understand that when you're working on a new piece of music, it tends to be the composer's medium, essentially. And for better or worse, the librettist is sort of has to has to defer to what the composer wants. Um, I'm sure there are some exceptions to that. But thus far, that's sort of like the nature of the commission agreement and so I think that sort of informs the nature of the working relationship. And mm -hmm. um, Nathaniel and every librettist I've, I've worked with has been very um, fine with that. Um, you know, that said, I, I want the librettist I'm working with, and in this case, Nathaniel, to be happy with what I'm writing and to feel like it reflects his intent as well as mine. Um, that's extremely important to me. So. I'm always asking for his, you know, honest opinions and feedback and Absolutely. Sometimes he'll say, you know, like, oh, I, I wish this went on a little bit longer. And I'll be like, oh, good. Thank you for telling me that. That's, that's helpful. You know, or I'm always open to his suggestions. Um, so far, he hasn't asked me to cut anything. <laughs> that would be, that'll be an, a fun road to cross at some point. Um, certainly open to hearing that. But, um, but thus far, he's very, yeah, very deferential. Were you able to attend the premiere? At the uh, at, at Trinity Wall Street. Yes, I was, and and that was really very exciting. Um, and it was actually a, an earlier version of the piece. Um, after that premiere, I went on to revise the piece, and I wrote another movement, the Alleluia. So, um, you know, it was a wonderful learning experience to have that premiere. But I immediately realized there were things that I wanted to change and open up. <laughs> But this is what I always do. I'm a I'm a very big reviser, um, and I, I'm always revising. And so so yeah. But it was a wonderful experience. And then working with Galakantus, with whom I made the recording, that was a whole other wonderful experience. So, what's it like for a composer when you're you've been locked away in your study with your piano, and you've been feverishly composing this piece and then suddenly you hear it in the, the full glory of the church what's that like for you you know it is it is both extraordinary and nerve-wracking i mean extraordinarily wonderful and rewarding because you can't quite believe that it's come together and that you're hearing this and the acoustics when they're good i mean it's a, it's an extraordinarily gratifying thing, but it's also nerve wracking because you're listening, you're not able to really enjoy anything. You're sort of listening for all the problems and all the balance issues or mistakes or tweaks in orchestration that I need to make, or should I add a beat there? Was that, a, was that did that feel like, you know, the, was the pacing exactly right? And, and I'm always thinking a million thoughts at one time and frantically jotting them down. So I rarely enjoy <laughs> fully the experience of hearing something for the first time in a rehearsal space because I'm very nervous and worried about everything. Um, 
I would say the, the greatest enjoyment comes later when I feel like the piece is finally finished and I'm hearing a wonderful performance in a great space, then I, then I can relax and enjoy it somewhat. But I am by nature a very self-critical um, person and I'm often thinking in a revised mindset, I'm often taking notes and thinking, oh no, I need to go back and change those dynamics. And so sometimes it's hard for me to just relax and enjoy something. Would you write another mass? Oh, yes. Um, you know, I hadn't actually thought, nobody's asked me that before and I hadn't thought about it, but I would, I would wanna do something different, you know, very different, um, but I absolutely would. I mean, this was one of the most fun experiences I've had composing a piece ever. This was, I wrote it, fast for me. Usually I'm a very, very slow composer, but something about this went very quickly. And um, it was like a rapturous experience for me writing this piece. And so I think it's something to do with all my choral experience, just tapping into that deep love of singing. And um, yeah, so absolutely in a heartbeat, I would love to write another mass. Yeah. Well, the Houston Chamber Choir and Loop 38 performs Sarah Kirkland Snyder's Mass for the Endangered, Saturday, February 4th at 7.30 in the evening at St. John the Divine Episcopal Church in River Oaks. Sarah, thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sinjin. It's such a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And thank you to everybody who supports the Houston Chamber Choir financially through attending performances or watching videos and listening to podcasts. We appreciate all that you do for the Houston Chamber Choir. We could not be here or do this without you. I'm Sinjin Flynn. This is Behind the Music. Join us again next time. Thank you to all who support the Houston Chamber Choir, our seasoned underwriter, Silvercrest Asset Management Group, our patrons, donors, and subscribers. We appreciate all you do to help keep the work of the Houston Chamber Choir possible. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And this is Behind the Music. Join us again next time. The Houston Chamber Choirs with One Accord is your one-stop shop for choral joy. If you enjoyed this podcast, help us to continue our mission to grow the esteem and appreciation of choral music by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to our content. As a 501c3 nonprofit, support from listeners like you allows us to continue to create new and exciting programming. For more information about us and how you can support our work, please visit HoustonChamberChoir.org slash give.